So, uh, but I want to talk to you about something that's really important. I know this is New Year's. Uh, oh, I almost forgot. Mark this date down. February 25th. February 25th. January is Human Trafficking Awareness Month. We want to make sure we put the awareness in there. I've, I've made that mistake before, and people have corrected me. Human Trafficking Awareness Month, and in February, February 25th, there is a film called Ghost Traders. Uh, it's by JC Films. It's a Christian group, and they have made the, the movie to help bring awareness to the, to the dire, desperate need for people to stand up and push against human trafficking in the Orlando area. Do you realize that we're one of the top three in the nation? And the, the film, it's really a great film, if, and I really will get the link so you can buy tickets for it, and you'll get to meet people that were in the movie, and, and a lot of the movie was filmed right here in our church. So you'll get to look at it and say, oh, I know this. And, and you'll get to see all of these different things. And if you look really closely, you might even see a cameo of your pastor in it. <laughs> so uh, anyway, great. It's going to be a great movie. Uh, anyway, so that's February 25th. I want to talk to you about New Year's resolutions. How many have New Year's resolutions? Isn't that great? First time, first time that I could uh, recall or uh, that I could find in history where New Year's resolutions were, were discovered it was 1671. A, a lady named Anne Halkett uh, wrote uh, a book about resolutions, and her New Year's resolutions were based on Scripture to do better, to be better, to act better, to speak better. Then they were all about kindness and about virtue. And, and by 1800, about a hundred years later, people were already uh, uh, using them for satire. They were already making fun of them. Um, how, many, how many years have we seen where we make these New Year's resolutions and by February, if we last that long, they're gone. So, But one of the top resolutions that people always make every single year is about being a better person. I want to exercise. And right now it feels good, doesn't it? In your mind and in your heart, thinking, I'm going to exercise, feels fantastic. And then you get out there. And then you have to go through it, and by, you know, it's just, it's just too much work. So, but that is one of the greatest most important ones that, that people come up with on their top resolutions is they want to be a better person. And one of the greatest areas of being a better person is even more than physical exercise and everything else is they want to reconcile with people. Reconciliation, being a better Mom, being a better dad, being a better child, being a better friend, being a better co-worker, all of these things, it's almost number one on their list. In the United States, uh, we had in, in 1680, there was a guy named Samuel Sewell. He actually later became the, the judge for the uh, Salem witch trials, but 
he was talking and in 1680, he wrote about how the Mohawk Indians had, had, uh, had, had weren't playing well. And after a while, the Mohawks and another tribe, they got together and they reconciled. And they called this reconciliation, they had a, they had a little tradition that they did. They took their, their hatchets that they used for war, one from each tribe, and they buried them. And we get the term Burying the hatchet from that. You ever heard the term, well, we're just going to bury the hatchet? Well, and I want to talk to you about the, the, the meaning is simply this, that you're laying aside all hostilities between two or more people or peoples, that you're, that you're burying the hatchet, that you're laying down your animosity, you're laying down your, your resentment, you're laying down your hatred, you're laying down anything that would keep you from having a relationship with that person, whether you started it or they started it. And both sides are mutually agreeing we're going to live in peace. Christ, uh, communion is a, is a Christian practice, but it's not just a Christian practice. It's a Christian practice about reconciliation. Communion, I don't, I don't know, maybe you've, you've thought of it, but, but communion is about Burying the hatchet between God and man. It's about laying down the hostilities between God and man. Communion actually connects us to the first Passover. In, in Exodus chapter 12, the children of Israel had been in Egypt for 430 years and, and God was, uh, trying, was delivering them and they'd gone through all the plagues and, and, and Pharaoh still didn't let them go because he had hatred and animosity in his heart and he wasn't going to allow them to leave. So God speaks to Moses and he says, tell the children of Israel to do this. I want them to take a lamb, a spotless lamb, one without blemish, and on the 10th day, I want them to put them in a, in a pen and, and feed them well and separate them. And on the 14th day of the first month, I want you to slay the lamb. And I want you to take the blood from the lamb and put it over the doorposts of your house. And then I want you to do this. I want you to take the lamb itself and I want you to bring it into the house and I want you to cook it. I want you to burn it with fire. I want you to roast it. And, and, if, and if the lamb is too big for your family, I want you to bring another family in because I don't want anything remaining. And I want you to take some unleavened bread, bread that doesn't have yeast in it. And I want you to eat it with bitter herbs. And he says, I want you to do something else. Not only do I want you to put the blood on the doorpost, and not only do I want you to have this lamb, and, and not only do I want you to have this bread, but I want you to get dressed for a journey. I want you to prepare like you're getting ready to leave because Pharaoh, after this, is going to let you go. And I find that fascinating. When, when Jesus was with his disciples, 
And he, and he was talking to them, and he said, he broke the bread and said, this is my body, which is broken for you. And, he, and then he took the cup, and he said, this is my blood, which is shed for you. And to do this in remembrance of, of me, what he was going back to, what he was reaching back to is the type and shadow and semblance of the Jewish nation of Passover. We know in Exodus 12 that when the angel of death came through Egypt, everyone that did not have blood over the doorposts of their heart, of their life, or of their house, the firstborn died. Can you imagine the weeping and the wailing? But whether Jew or Egyptian, it didn't matter if you had the blood applied to the doorposts of your house, the death angel passed you by. That's all semblance of, of us and communion and what Christ has done for us. Paul, writing to the church in Corinth, uh, he connects participation in communion with the laying aside of all hostilities, and he embraces Passover in doing so. Let's read 1 Corinthians chapter 10. It says this, Is not the cup of thanksgiving for which we give thanks a participation in the blood of Christ? Now that's a, he's not really asking a question. He is just making a statement with a question. And is not the bread that we break a participation in the body of Christ? We participate in the blood of Christ and we participate in the body of Christ each and every time we take communion. I don't believe that these elements become the literal body and blood of Christ. They are symbolic. But the symbolism and what, what is spiritual about communion is that it's a time to reconcile our lives with God. That's why he said when you do this, as often as you do it, do it in remembrance of me. Because that cup of thanksgiving is the blood of Christ. It's the blood applied to the doorposts of our heart. That, that when Christ came and Christ died on the cross and his blood was shed, that perfect, innocent, pure blood. And when we come to him at the foot of the cross, we have the blood of Christ applied to our lives. And when death comes knocking at the door of our life, death cannot hold you because the blood is on your heart. I'm thankful for the for the death angel that passed over us, the firstborn, this flesh, this flesh that fights us, this flesh that, that struggles. The scripture tells us, don't you know that, that by doing so, we're saving ourselves, and yet our flesh doesn't want to be saved. 
It wants to do its own thing. It wants to chart its own course. It wants to rule its own destiny. But when we submit to the will of Christ and when we reconcile with Christ, the blood is applied and we're not only getting eternal life, but this body is going to be transformed from mortal to immortal. It's the cross where the blood was shed, where the blood was applied. It's glorious and glory and gory at the same time. It's beautiful and brutal. It's great and gruesome. It's terrific and it's terrible. But when I look at the cross of Christ, when I see what he did, when we sing those songs, alas, and did my Savior bleed, and did my sovereign die. When we look at the cross, when we see the blood that was shed for us, we understand in communion that when we are taking part in communion, we are looking at what Christ has done for us. And it's, it's not about what we can do, it's what he did. He has applied his blood on our lives and death has no hold on us. It's the firstborn, our flesh. It's saved from death. Notice that our flesh is not saved by Bible studies. It's not saved by church attendance. And you say, well, are those bad? No, those are good. Those are good things. They remind you of, of, uh, of what Christ has done for us. But he doesn't, the Bible doesn't say when, when they see how devout you are, that death angel will pass over you. It doesn't say, uh, when I see how much scripture you memorize, then the death angel is going to pass over you. It doesn't say, when, you're, when I see how intellectual you are, that's when the death angel is going to pass over you. But it says, when I see the blood. When I see the blood. When I see the blood, then I will pass over you. Communion is powerful to those that understand we are participating in the fact that Christ died for us. The cup, then, is the focus on our relationship with Christ. It's about being one with Christ. It's about looking for what he did and not what we have done. The bread is interesting. It's unleavened bread. Unleavened leaven is symbolic in scriptures of sin. And we are to partake in the body of Christ because it was sinless. Scripture tells us in the New Testament that we are the body of Christ. That we have been, had our sins forgiven. The bread focuses not on necessarily on our relationship with God. It focuses on our relationship with one another in Christ. They ate the bread together in unity. The body of Christ is together in unity. Our relationship with one another directly affects our relationship with God. Let me say that again. Our relationship with other people 
directly affects our relationship with God. You can't have a good relationship with God and have a bad relationship with people. And you say, well, what is that, that, that relationship? Well, there, there are some dangers to taking communion when you don't take it wisely. First John 2 tells us this, he is the atoning, he being Christ, is the atoning sacrifice for our sins. Transgressions, disobedience to God. He is the only atonement. He is the only one that can remit sins. He's the only one that can wash away sins. There is nothing else. There is no element known to man that can wash away the, the sin and the stain of sin from the human soul other than the blood of Jesus Christ. And you cannot get that, that blood applied to your heart any other way than a personal relationship with him. If you don't know him, you don't have the blood. He is the atoning sacrifice for our sins, and not only for our sins, but also for the sins of the whole world. That simply means anybody that comes to him. There is not a person on the face of this earth that cannot have forgiveness of sins. But they must come through Christ. By the way, Scripture says, how will they ever know unless we sin? We know that we have come to know him if we read the Bible every day. It doesn't say that. It says we, come, we know him if we obey his commands. Obey his commands. The man who says, or the person who says, I know him, speaking of God, but does not do what he commands. Here's what the scripture says. Are you ready? Because the scripture's not woke, and it's not passive, and it just tells you the way it is. Here's John, the one that loved the Lord. He describes himself as the disciple who loved the Lord. John, when we think of him, he's full of compassion, full of love, full of grace. And he says, the person that says, I know him, but is not doing what he commands is a liar. And the truth is not in him. When we say everything is good between us and God, when we say everything is right in the world between us and God, and we know that it's not, my friends, if I was there, I would not take communion. Because that is where the scripture says you're taking it without fully understanding the, the significance of the blood and the body of Christ. When we do not count Christ's sacrifice for our sins with significance, because keep in mind, it wasn't only that they had the blood applied to the doorpost, and it wasn't only that, that they had the, the bread and the lamb to partake of in, 
it together, but they were also preparing themselves for a journey. And there is a significant element within the relationship with God that he will continually try to get you to put on the clothes of righteousness and holiness and, and blessing. And he will always try to get you closer to him to prepare us for the journey from this life to the next. You can't expect God to bless when we are not accepting his blessings. We need to be preparing to leave. So when we partake in communion and we take that cup and we drink that and, and we say, Lord, this is representative of your blood for me and we drink that, that's why the scripture says we need to examine our hearts. And you say, do I have to be perfect in the eyes of God before I partake of communion? And the answer is no. You do have to be honest. You do have to be transparent. And I, I'll, I'll be honest, there's been things in my life throughout, throughout my life that that when it came to communion, I, I looked at and I prayed and I said, Lord, you know this desire is in my heart and, or this motion is in my heart or this feeling is in my heart and I don't want it, but you know it's there and I am battling it and Lord, help my unbelief. And when you're transparent and honest with God, that is the importance of communion that you're realizing that no matter what your struggles are his grace that can be extended to you through his blood can wash away and can give you the power and strength to overcome all things but we have to be sincere with him the other part of the relationship not only with him but with with one another John goes on to say, he says, anyone who claims to be in the light but hates his brother is still in the darkness. He just doesn't mince words. If you say you love God, but you're having difficulty with other people and you don't like them and you, well, let me say, you hate your brother. There's a difference between hating and not liking. There's a lot of things I don't like. You, you can despise the way somebody acts. You can despise the way somebody treats somebody else. You can despise a person for their character and their conduct. But there's something about when you get close to God and you get in a fellowship and a relationship with God, you begin to see people in a different light. I know in the last six or seven weeks, we've, all of us have been focused on, on that horrific murder in Idaho and, and of those four college students. And they finally found the culprit. Vicious, heinous crime. And humanity says, we need... To see that justice is served, and rightfully so. But at the same time, do you want to see him spend eternity in hell? 
Or do you want him to receive salvation? And you say, but Pastor, he did something so horrible. Yes, he did. And if I was one of those parents, I, I don't ever want to be in that situation. I don't want to ever be in that situation. But, but loving people is not about what they've done right or what they've done wrong. It's not whether they're good to you or not good to you. Loving people is seeing them in the eyes of eternity. And when we look at humanity, we have to get to the place that we don't want to see anybody thrown in the lake of fire because it was not made for humanity. It was created for the devil and his angels. You say, that's hard. That's harsh. It is. Look what John says. Whoever loves his brother lives in the light. Lives in the light. Don't you love living in the light? And there is nothing in him to make him stumble. When you get to that place in relationship with one another, that people hurt you, that people make you mad, that people that you struggle, but at the end of the day, you love them. At the end of the day, you care for them. And at the end of the day, you want to see their best interest. For after all, it was Christ on the cross that said, Father, forgive them, for they don't know what they're doing. So communion then, I'm going to ask our praise team to come back. Communion then is about two things. It's about our relationship with God. And it's about our relationship with the body of Christ. People. And I would say to you today, as we get ready to partake in communion, and I'm going to have people uh, join me in a minute, and we're going to distribute the elements and then we'll pray together. If your relationship with God is not where you want it to be, will you be honest with Him? And take time before we take this communion and say, God, I want this year to be the year that my relationship with you is pure. I want to be closer to you than I've ever been. If your relationship with somebody else is not where it needs to be, I'm not saying condone what they are doing. I'm not saying even like them. But I am saying allow the love of God to be in you that offers them life. Because you will never regret standing before the Lord. And saying, Lord, I did all I could do. It's important. It's important that we become like Christ. That we love, that we rebuke, but we love. That we correct, but we love. But we love. I recently went and received some blood work. Everybody loves doing that, right? Seems like they took like 28 vials. I don't know. 
Um, but it was interesting that they took it, then, then I was able to go online, and, they, and after a few days, they gave me the results. And from that, that blood, they, they were able to tell me all the things that I need to do, all the things that are good, all the things that aren't good. And what was amazing is all the things that weren't exactly where I want them to be, I, I knew why they were there. It was that extra slice of pizza and ice cream and, and all of those things and driving instead of walking and all of those things. And I knew, and I know, if I want to fix it, I need to lay some things down and I need to pick some things up. Communion is about our spiritual blood work. It's about examining our relationship with God and allowing God to speak into us and say, Lord, is there something in my life that I need to work on? If you ask the Lord that, he is not going to be quiet. If you ask the Lord in sincerity, in sincerity, he is going to answer you. It's about your relationship with your fellow man and if there's somebody that you're harboring resentment to, toward or this would be a great time to say Lord I want to love that person I don't, I don't like them I don't, I don't like what they're doing but my heart desires the very best so as we partake in communion let's examine ourselves as a as they play, I'm going to ask those that I would come and help me with communion. Would you please come? We are going to distribute the elements and then we will pray together.